Welcome to the Thursday, January 9th Board of Education Budget and Facilities meeting. I'm your host and chair, Dave Kirpin, and with me is the committee and administration and some board members and some members of the community. Welcome, everyone, and of course, welcome to all of you listening at home, and thank you for listening to the podcast. Um, our first item uh, on the agenda is a uh, zero-based budgeting pilot presentation. We asked uh, Ms. Callahan and Dr. Hines to uh, provide one department or school that would uh, take a look at a budget from the from the from the ground up and make some recommendations uh, for how they would want to run their school or department uh, budget-wise if they could start over. And uh, Dr. Pernick was very kind enough to volunteer or be volunteered, but I but either way he's here and Volunteer. I greatly appreciate him being here. And so uh, I'm going to turn it over to you, Dr. Pernick, for our first uh, agenda item. And we are we are uh, uh, recording for the podcast, so I'm going to. Where are you going to? Sp are you going to speak I'm from there? Go, no, I'm going to move up there. So I'm going to. I'm just going to bring this up and with you. You're not going to follow me. I won't. Well, I'll follow you for a moment, and then I'm going to go back down to my seat, sir. Good morning, everybody, and Happy New Year. Why don't you want to put it over there? Um, this is kind of how I imagined doing this. I had imagined um, what would it be like if I was able to recreate and open up a brand new version of Schreiber High School, um, and what would it look? What would I want it to look like? Um, I wanted to give myself some uh, some boundaries to work with. So I imagined the exact same physical plant. I didn't want to imagine some other physical plant because that's unrealistic. I imagined the same number of students, uh, and I imagined um, if the faculty was the faculty in place because uh, that creates some limitations all by itself. But I started to imagine, you know, what would I want the school to look like? What do I think a school in this time period, in now 2020, what would it what would it look like? How would it best serve kids? Um, and then we can certainly talk about um, you know, how I imagine doing some of those things um, given the limitations that I placed on myself. Um, I think this works. Let's see. All right, it does. Okay. I'm not sure how to advance my slides. Let see if I can advance it. I'll do it. Roll it down. Well, I could do that. So I just go one up. Okay. So uh, thank you. I, so I so I divided the presentation into a couple of different areas, uh, things that I would want to focus on, and as you'll see as I go through this, I, I have some costs associated with it, and there are opportunities in some of these areas for things to be revenue neutral, and I can do some explaining, just some about how I imagine that happens. Um, if I were to subtitle the presentation, it would be called Choices, because I think everything is about the choices that we make depending on what it is that we hope to find. So the first section is social-emotional learning. Uh, you can go ahead one slide. So our current uh, guidance department is made up of eight guidance counselors who have an average of 212 students each. We ask our guidance counselors to do a lot. The, the approach is what's known as an ombudsman approach, 
which means guidance counselors are expected to provide support to an ever-changing student body. I think we all acknowledge that students in this era uh, are from a, a you know, wider range in terms of their backgrounds. Uh, it does not ask them to be specialists at a time where everyone in schools is a specialist, right? We don't ask math teachers to teach social studies. Uh, we understand that we need specialists. So one of the ways that I imagine, I will add that I also think that in this era of focusing on student mental health, we want to take a school like Shriver that is large. Currently, we're about the eighth largest high school in Nassau County. There are 55 high schools in Nassau County, and we're growing. How do we take a high school that size and make it feel smaller for the students who uh, come to our school? We have some design uh, pluses that we'll get into, the way our system principles are designed by cohort, which just make it easy by grade level, and that guidance counselors stay with their kids for four years. That should help, but I think we need to do a better job. And if I were building a school and opening it up in September, uh, it would include these additions. Um, a dedicated college counselor, we could talk more about what that means. There are schools that have college offices, guidance counselors whose sole job it is is to be expert in the college admissions process learning how that process changes. All you gotta do is follow the news to know that that is an ever-changing and fluid process, uh, asking someone to be expert in that area. Guidance counselors that are dedicated, one each for our ENL students. I listed the total number of students uh, that we currently have, 109, and special education, we currently have 186 students who are classified and 125 who are declassified. That's, those, those numbers are important. Declassified students still receive accommodations. Their accommodations stay with them uh, for throughout their high school career, so that comes with its own set of challenges. But more importantly, is where special education students go after high school is also really varied, and we don't have anybody currently who is an expert in this uh, and having expertise here. We have lots of students who are special education students who go to four-year colleges and universities, and that's wonderful. But we also have special education students who pursue trade schools. Uh, and we also have special education students who go to the workforce. And so bringing somebody in who can work with special education students and then also understand the changes in what colleges and universities are doing uh, with students who come with IEPs. So five, seven years ago, that was a non-issue at college, the college and university level. It isn't anymore. Colleges and universities have programs for students who come with IEPs. We would benefit, our students would benefit from having somebody in place. There's a benefit in this area. If you go to the next slide, Dave, I think. So just to give you an idea, we would be able to, by adding those counselors, we would be able to shrink the eight guidance counselors caseload to 175, roughly, on average students from 212. We also relieve them of the, the piece of their job that is the most time consuming, which is the college admissions process, which would free up lots of time for them to then circle back and focus on uh, the mental health of our students. We're not unique. Every school is dealing with mental health issues, so we have to come up with an approach for how we get at those issues. Right now, 
I wrote, you know, and this is part of the state's um, goals with, with school counseling, is that a counselor should be meeting with every student at least once a year. And we can, we can meet that goal, but right now that's focused on programming for the following year, what courses kids want to take, that's important. There's not as much of a focus on how are you doing, which like, what a powerful question to ask a, a child. We, we don't get to do enough of that because of the pressures that are currently placed on the eight guidance counselors that are in the school. Here's what this approximately costs, um, the cost, these are all approximate costs. For three guidance counselors, that's a cost each. Uh, I imagine the college office that had one guidance counselor and two clerical. Um, again, the, guide, the college office is about uh, having one place where there is expertise about what is happening in the college admissions process and is designed to help students package their college admissions materials. Um, depending on where kids are going to school, and we do, by the way, have lots of students who are the first in their families to go to college, so they don't come with kind of foundational support about what uh, um, a college application package looks like. So developing a place for students to go, I think, is really critical and a way in which we should grow. Uh, these, by the way, college offices, you know, I often think of Schreiber as, as a public school, but often feels like it's an independent school, like a little private school. Well, those schools, they have massive college offices. They focus on packaging uh, their students. And I think there's something to be said for that. Um, so again, the idea here is that we can carve out a lot. I, I'm gonna put all of this under the banner of, I think in the long run, everything Almost everything could be revenue neutral, but that's about choices. That's all about choices. Um, and we'll talk more about choices um, later on down the line. All right, go ahead. Yeah, Eric, can I just ask you yes. a quick question? Just yeah. for the sake of the audience um, yes. who <coughs> see your, oh. your visuals. The, the process <clears throat> from a zero-based budget, like how did that factor into the way that you came up with your two slides, maybe for guidance, and then moving on, how did that factor in? Well, so it started with me imagining what I would want a school to look like if I were opening it up September 2020. And then I had some conversations. I didn't, you know, a project like this is fraught with all sorts of political worry. So I had some conversations with stakeholders within the school to ask them for their input about what they felt was important. And then some of those conversations were, all right, how do you think we would pay for it if we had no additional resources? And so it's hard for me to reflect what those conversations were because I don't know that I want to put all of that out into the open uh, via podcast form that, you know, these are the changes. Because none of those changes, I'll show you later, to get to these, to, to, to some, if not all of this, it's not going to come from the codes and uh, you know the the dollars that are assigned uh, by code for you know any given fiscal year. It's going to come from from personnel. I mean that's where those changes are going to come from. Right. You mean the codes such as supplies, equipment, right. Xerox paper, because personnel 
and benefits and pensions and so on make up 75 to 80 percent of the overall budget. By my estimate, it makes up more than that. By my estimate, you know, we're talking about in codes, we're talking about somewhere in the neighborhood of one percent of of the Schreiber High School overall budget. And I'll show you what those monies look like for this year and then for previous years. So the conversations, and now you can understand why they're fraught. Right? You know, I want us to look at program and say, well, is this program successful? How do we measure success? And is there a way for us to get at something else? And that, of course, makes everybody feel like, well, I just created shaky ground. And I said, no, 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 it's just an exercise. Uh, but some people can't. All they heard is the first part. So um, imagine what I would want, and then figure out, okay, you know, what's the easy way to get here? If there is one, what's the more complicated way to get here, which is always more difficult? I'll give you some examples. Um, so we'll skip BOCES program funding for a second and we'll drop down to adapt and expand our alternative school. We run an alternative school, it's called Steps and Flick. Uh, we've been running the programs as they currently exist for about the last 15 years. Um, I think we, it's time, you know, the program has not been static in those 15 years, there's been lots of changes, but some of those have been subtractions and not additions, meaning there was once a dedicated uh, school psychologist to Steps and Flip. Well, that position was, uh, was lost and it was never replaced. So, you know, but, so what do we do? I think we need to re look at that program to figure out a way to get more students into the program. It only serves um, 15 students maximum per year. Uh, and we sometimes can't get 15 students in. And that's a, a problem all by itself. Here we are at this time where Everybody, everybody would say that we have more students who would benefit from alternative uh, programming and alternative instruction, and yet we can't seem to fill all the seats in our alternative program, which to me sounds like we may not be meeting the needs. We may not have changed fast enough uh, to accommodate the ever-changing world. So I think we need to adapt and expand the program. When we expand the program, we bring more of our own students into an alternative program then teachers follow. So if we bring in, an, this becomes a, a little bit like kind of deep, but if we need an extra point two in math and English and social studies um, and science, for example, well, we need to bring in a class size large enough into our alternative instruction, and then we can move a point two out of the general uh, area. We don't have to, that's what revenue neutral means. Like if we move enough students into alternative instruction, then we, the teachers automatically follow. We don't have to hire anybody, they're, they're already there. So some of the fixes, I think, or changes, you know, flow in that way. But, <coughs> excuse me, BOCES program funding, I don't have a revenue neutral way to do that. Um, you know, I don't, <laughs> you know, I wish I did. Um, and I worked with uh, Kitty Klein, our Director of Guidance, in trying to come up with a reasonable estimate. It may not be 10 students at 200,000, it might be 12 or 13, depending on the year and the program. But currently, we don't send anybody, and gen ed students, to BOCES programs. And I wrote trade schools only. That's strictly a function of the tax cap. We have been uh, at zero uh, you know, since the tax cap arrived. Um, and 
curiously enough, like these two kind of dovetail together. Um, we know we have students who are gen ed students who would uh, flourish at a different level if they were in a program that directly met their needs. Um, right, Shriver, like every other school, um, we want to say that we, you know, we serve every single student regardless of their backgrounds perfectly, but that would be, that's just naive on our part. There are always students that function just outside of, of what the norm would be, and we need more uh, tools to be able to do that. Um, but I don't have a revenue neutral way um, to do that. There are revenue neutral ways to do just about everything else that's on this list, but I'll go back to that's about choices. Those are about the things that we value. You know, I suggest a theater, theater and drama classes. I wrote one additional teacher, point four, uh, dedicated to the arts. I think that's scalable. We would start out at point four, we would end up at point eight because we would add classes each year. We don't have classes right now. We have a theater arts class, but we don't have a class that teaches uh, drama. We don't have a class that teaches musical theater. Um, that's why we get requests from parents sometimes to go to Long Island High School for the Arts. And while we have a dynamic arts program, we have a gap there and I think we could fill it. But there is no state certification for theater and drama. We would have to go find a teacher elsewhere. We might have someone on staff. And so we, that could be a revenue neutral piece. It would just mean that we were uh, losing an elective or elective courses elsewhere to make way for these electives. Same with, I'm not sure what to do about social media, uh, but I do know that I believe strongly that we can do more teaching students how to interpret social media, how to use it properly, and make it a valuable resource. You know, we spend a lot of time talking about the knocks on social media, but I know that if I went on my Facebook page right now and said I was having a bad day and needed support, that I would get 150 messages of support uh, hoping that I would get a message. Let me revise that. I would get a message of support. Uh, uh, I mean, my dad would probably reach out. Um, but aside from that, uh, and this, we, but we see evidence of this all the time. And, and curiously, I have this paired with journalism because we know that people, not just kids, adults too, more and more use social media as their resource for news. And so we should be teaching that more directly. We don't need to pan it or say uh, how awful society is as a result of it. We need to be educators and we need to say, okay, let's focus on this. To give you an example, the English department is revamping their journalism course currently. We used to teach journalism about how to write journalism. But that's not the focus of journalism courses anymore. Now the focus is about how to read journalism. How do we evaluate it? How do we know what's news and what isn't news? How do we interpret the differences? And that's, this is you know, what I would call a, a good successful pivot. And it's what schools should do more often. But those become revenue neutral because they go under this umbrella of, of choices. Um, we've had, if you follow what other schools have done, if they work with the college board, um, there's a program called AP Capstone we do not have AP Capstone, but that is really about teaching kids research skills at the ninth grade level um, and then sometimes at the 10th grade level. 
Well, if you're going to buy in, you've got to make a choice as to who. Like who gets access to those classes? I struggle when it comes to the question of who. I like the answer to be everyone. I don't like the answer to be uh, some small subset of the population. I think uh, that obviously eliminates kids, and especially if we value teaching kids how to do appropriate research. I think there's a way for us, wait, thank you, uh, to consider, well, maybe we need to teach all of our ninth graders um, how to do that. Well, so there are ways to make that revenue neutral. Uh, they'd be unpopular, wildly unpopular. That's why they go under the category of choices in terms of what it is that we want, um, what do we want students to be exposed to, right? We have a limited number of choices. Can I just talk sure. you say wildly um, unpopular? Is that with staff or with the students, parents, or combination of both? Like, who would it be unpopular with? Well, I would start with it would be unpopular with everybody, uh, as change often is, and then it would be okay over the long run. So. It would just require us, like we've been on this trajectory for a long time, and we would just be tilting our trajectory, and we would be focusing elsewhere. Look, we go back to guidance. I mean, there's a reason why that's the first slide, right? That's the, if you were to walk away with anything, I would say we need to make a large school feel smaller for everyone. Uh, some students are really good at that, you know, making their environment feel smaller. But we have a lot of students that don't know how to do it themselves. We need to be responsible and do that for them. And there's, that's why that slide is the first slide. If you said, let's, let's sit together, let's get a working group together, and let's make that happen, but we don't have any extra resources, well, there's going to be some difficult and unpopular decisions to be made. But I'll show you where they're going to come from. They're going to add a slide later. They're not going to come out of codes for supplies. That's, there's just not enough, you know. Time purposes, I'm going to hold questions till the end. And I just want to, because we have other items yeah, on the agenda, sure. we're going to run till about 9 10 on this. All right, I have another meeting here at 10 30, so I was planning on staying straight through. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm not in the You're welcome to stay for the whole meeting, <laughs> but we do have other agenda items. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, <clears throat> so, anyway, this gives you the idea of, of the academic program. Again, this idea that, that we would be opening a school up in the in the, uh, in the fall, brand new Schreiber High School right next door to the one we have. The last item is stuff that we've spoken about in the past at other meetings about how we fill in gaps and help support students in our research programs and in senior experience about creating greater fidelity when it comes to connecting students to the outside world. Um, go ahead. Thank you. Um, one of the things I, I, I've become more and more, I've, I've talked, I don't need to do much about this. Um, let me just give you this. I put a link at the bottom just because there is more and more research out there. That article is about co-principles, and I'm not, I'm not advocating that because I'm not sharing. Um, <laughs> but what, what, it, what it does mean, and if you go to Jericho, by the way, where there are co-principles at Jericho High School, um, the idea is that there's, there's one principal who is kind of uh, outward facing, and there's one principal who is inward facing. Schreiber High School is designed, and has been designed for 35 years, by the way, that's roughly the amount of time, years that there have been four grades at Schreiber High School. So for the past 35 years, Schreiber High School has been organized in exactly the same way. And if you're saying that's great, I'm saying it's not. It's not great. 
There are very few things that we do for 35 years that we never change in our lives. Uh, there's very, you know, we get new cell phones every six months. Uh, so we need to revisit. We need to look at this again. And if we connect the system principles to social emotional learning, which we should, that's the way Schreiber High School is designed, we need a rear-facing system principle. We need to take administrative items off these enormous items. Enormous. They're gigantic. We need to take them, we need to relieve the APs of these jobs and then allow them to focus more on their students, by the way, that are growing in number, uh, and so that they can be on the ground floor with guidance counselors and doing more than worrying about uh, the small disciplinary problems and get uh, embedded on a greater level with the larger issues that impact students. I have a slide next there that just shows what, this is what our organizational chart looks like. I don't have to spend a lot of time in it, but you know, what isn't even covered here, the number of students each of the, each of the assistant principals are responsible for, and what those, and my phone is ringing like crazy, I'm really sorry. It's just my father, it's okay. He's all right. You heard you very well. He's, he's, he's very concerned. He's, I told him I was presenting, I said podcast. He said, what's a podcast? I said, I don't have time for that. Um, so they also do observations, which I would argue are good things. That connects them with kids. The assistant principals are responsible for about, um, about 100 of those observations this year spread between them. And those are time-consuming pieces that didn't exist 35 years ago. And so that's why it's time. Uh, you know, the change cycle in, the, in society is faster than it's ever been before. Schools are hard to change but our change cycle has to work a little faster too. All right, good. thank you. Um, just some ideas, you know, the, one of the first questions I asked myself is if I was opening up a school in 2020, but I want it to be a one-to-one -one school. One-to-one -one school, I want it to be one-to-one -one laptop, iPad, there are lots of schools out there that do that. I went to people that I know and trust in the district and asked them the questions, and I was interested and surprised at the answers and it forced me to go back and rethink. I don't think I would go to one-to-one. -one. I actually think a couple of things happen when you do that. One is I think you potentially waste a lot of money on technology that students don't need, uh, as a lot of students have technology. We often think about the students who don't, but we have lots of students that do, and so it would be a shame to spend lots of money and give them uh, equipment that they don't need. Um, second is it takes away lots of uh, freedom uh, from teachers because it puts a lot of pressure on them to use those devices every period of every day and I don't know that's the direction we want to go. Um, but we have seen success in some areas. One is we have a program in the library that has 30 Chromebooks that students can borrow like a book. Uh, they can't leave the library with them but those Chromebooks are out and, borrow, and uh, borrowed by students virtually every period of every day. Uh, we started that with 15, we quickly had to add it to 30. And I think we can replicate that model elsewhere to give kids access with their ID card only to technology that they can use. And we could probably geofence the school now so that students just wouldn't be able to leave the school. So we could probably model that again in the commons, an area that students go to. We might even be able to model it in the lobby where students can come in, borrow a computer or a Chromebook if they need it. Uh, and use it for the day, and that might be a way for us to fill in 
gaps for students that don't have technology during the day. I also think it's important for us to migrate from Chromebooks in classrooms at least to laptops, but mostly because testing is going to be migrating more and more from paper testing onto uh, computer testing. When you do computerized testing, you have to turn off the internet. Um, well, for obvious reasons, right? If kids are taking a routine exam and they have the internet, the test gets infinitely easier. Um, but if you turn off the internet, you can't use a Chromebook. A Chromebook is solely dependent on the internet because they don't have programs on them like Microsoft Word. So instead, you go to laptops. The costs between a Chromebook and a laptop have come down greatly. And so I would want to open with more laptop and laptop carts, and I would move Chromebook and Chromebook carts out for the borrowing, but anticipating that we're going to end up in a world where we're going to, at some point, have lots of laptops uh, someplace like the gym for an AP test instead of paper exams. So that's just some of the technology that I would focus on. Uh, Dave, you have? You got to make some changes with security. Uh, I don't think that's a sign of anything horrific about Schreiber High School or what it means to live in Port Washington. I think it's reality. Um, in about 10 minutes, we're going to be doing at Schreiber our first live lockdown drill. Uh, it's the first time we're, you know, we're practicing this drill. This is how confident I am. I'm here. Uh, it'll go great. Um, but it's a new type of drill. It's happening in all seven of the schools. A sign of the times. We need to change the way we secure our schools. I think it's time for us to bring security inside. I think having a presence on the inside is valuable. Sends a message. I think people like to see that. I think visitors like to see it. And I think it's what you see when you go visit lots of other schools. That requires some resources. Um, I think it's time for us to go to uh, uh, students not just displaying their IDs when they come in in the morning, which they do so dutifully, but they actually swipe in. Um, swipe is almost too strong of a word. They kind of tap in. If you go to Great Neck uh, North or South High School, you can see this in action. Um, it's just a kiosk. Students go, they tap their ID, their picture comes up on the screen. It marks them as present. The school knows where they are. Right? There's, you know, one of the big concerns we have about uh, planning for worst case scenarios is always connected to how do we know where our students are. That's particularly challenging if you're Schreiber High School. And so collecting data all the time to know that students are in the building is critically important. And I think we're going to have to move more and more and more into that uh, arena. And this is a way to do that. These kiosks, by the way, are on wheels. So we could, say, have them at the front door when kids come to school in the morning. We can move them to the entrance to the cafeteria to make sure that the students who are going to the cafeteria during lunch periods actually have lunch. Uh, and instead of taking up a chair if they don't have lunch, let's say, or if it's their second uh, unscheduled period, right? We want to be able to smooth out that process as well. So we can put them in different places. We could do the same thing at 6.30 at a basketball game, which uh, on a Friday night can get loud and raucous, and sometimes there's a problem, and we don't know necessarily who's in the stands. Well, we could ask students to swipe in, and then we would know exactly who's in the stands. So I think there's a level of expectation for what schools know and don't know as it relates to security, and this would be a way to get at that. Um, 
I wanted to show you this because I wanted to give you something that's impossible to read. Next slide. Uh, this is, no, I was kidding. Okay. This is uh, the last, uh, from 1415 up to this year, this is a breakdown of our faculty and staff in the building, other than administrators. It's five for administrators, 5.0. Um, it, it's a little out of order because we changed, you know, 1415 we referred to uh, world languages as low languages other than English and then it changed to alphabetically moved. But you can see the breakdown, you can see how departments have, uh, have grown in some cases. Math was 16, 16, 16, and we went to 17, and we remain at 17. Um, some of them will reflect a loss and then recovery business was 1.6. Um, you might ask how it becomes a 0.6. You know, a teacher teaches five classes, that's 1.0. Uh, we have teachers who teach in multiple departments. So, for example, we have a social studies teacher. Social studies is at, uh, where are we right now for social studies, 18.2. We have a social studies teacher that teaches a tech class. Uh, you know, um, radio station is technically in technology. So that's how it kind of gets organized. But I wanted you to get a sense of seeing, you can see by the subtotals on the bottom where we were, the impact of the tax cap, and there was absolutely an impact. Um, we, you know, we were, at a time, um, attritioning physicians, so people retired, we didn't replace. And that wasn't working at a time when our enrollment was increasing. So we had to then begin to claw our way back up, uh, and that always comes at a cost, um, both literally to the district and then also in terms of what we have in terms of movable funds. Um, it's always a challenge. So just to see this, you can see the guidance also. When I arrived, we had seven councils, uh, and then we, we naturally needed to go to eight, and you can clearly see I don't think that's enough given the caseloads. Okay, Dave, one more. And this is what I really wanted to show you. Um, oftentimes there'll be lots of questions about the, these monies. Uh, this is the last three years of uh, monies through the budget process in each of these codes. We can talk about these codes if you want. <coughs> Excuse me. But I wanted to illustrate that in 1920, this is about $350,000 in, in money uh, throughout all these codes. Um, that's a really small amount when compared to the entire budget of, of Schreiber High School when we factor in personnel and personnel costs. And so, you know, we're not going to be able to take $200,000 out of this money and run school. Uh, we're not going to have paper if we do that. We're not going to have the regular run-of-the-mill supplies. Uh, we're not going to be able to buy new furniture. By the way, we have a cafeteria expansion coming that I have to buy furniture for out of our budget for next year. We have a new technology wing that's going to be built the year, after, you know, the year after, and I'm going to need money to be able to do that. And right now I have to use these resources. To give you a real hands-on, uh, uh, four years ago, I mean, it's painfully obvious if you have children at Schreiber High School that we do not have enough lockers for the number of students we have. And that problem is only getting worse. So I set out a five-year plan to replace all of the large lockers with two smaller lockers. 
Um, that was my plan. And I got to that one year so far of the last four years because it's like $20,000 to replace just a bank of lockers. Jim's been great working side by side to advance this project, but it's, no one gets excited about it, not a single person. Nobody is, like there's not a community member who's saying, yeah, I want to donate lots of money for lockers. Uh, it's, it's not as exciting. And it means that I have to find money within this to carve out. And so if I want to do kiosks for swiping, that's you. And then I'm going to say, well, this is about student safety. Um, you'd be right to say, oh, you're crazy. You're going to like put off student safety in exchange for lockers. So lockers gets pushed back. But those are the little things and choices that have to get made over the course of time. Um, and so I hope to be able to get back to them, but they're really challenging. So to pull money out gets at the little things. It makes it very difficult for us to expand. Um, you know, I would love to revamp all classroom furniture to all of our desks. I, I love uh, easily movable uh, desks and chairs on wheels. Um, we have some classrooms like that. It would cost a lot to be able to do that, and that this current funding, it would take uh, years, years, to be able to get all of our classrooms there. So it's, it's really hard. To give you another example, by the way, graduation. Graduation costs like $10,000 a year. Um, that may not sound like a lot, but that's a significant amount of money. By the way, it wouldn't cost a whole lot less if we suddenly decided to do graduation indoors off-site, we have to rent that space, we have to get busing, all sorts of stuff. But it's just, these are the natural sort of occurrences. Uh, this morning I had a chance to talk to students going to post to compete in virtual enterprise. Well, we have to pay that entry fee. And we have to pay the entry fees for our debate team um, and for our robotics teams. We have to pay those. I'm wrapping up right now. Uh, and so that mo those monies come out of these monies, and those costs continue to go up, even though these numbers tend to kind of come down every year. And I don't ever want to say no. So I, that's what I have for you. Okay, awesome. Thank you very, very much. Sure. I'm going to give an opportunity to the committee and board to ask some questions. Um, I'm going to try to give us like seven or eight minutes. We do have other, other agenda items, as I mentioned. Um, I get to start, and then Deb and, and Emily. Um, so first, I just want to commend you and thank you. I, I realize the potentially, to your point, explosive political nature and sensitive nature of a lot of what we're talking about. And I, I very much appreciate both your willingness to present and your, and your willingness to share a bunch of ideas. Uh, in particular, uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, guidance and, and, and having more guidance. And unsurprisingly, the, the social media and journalism course. I am certified, by the way. Perhaps I can volunteer at some point. Um, my uh, education. Oh, and it was guidance for. I'm not certified in guidance, okay. unfortunately. Um, so my questions, well, I, have, I have a couple. First, I just want to clarify again, knowing the sensitive nature of this. It sounds like what you were saying with respect to revenue neutral and or um, how to fund some of these things would be potentially eliminating electives that are underutilized. Is that, did I get that You can right? take off underutilized. Some of them are well utilized, but if we're gonna make choices. What I'm trying to say is that the choices are rarely about things, they're almost always about people. Right. 
Understood. And, um, and along those lines, another totally admittedly uh, uh, land uh, uh, area with landmines, uh, but I, of course, have to ask, sort of my job, is around the uh, current schedule. We have this unique schedule. Um, it's very hard for me to wrap my hands around it from a budget standpoint. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm wondering aloud whether you believe both educationally and budget-wise, in terms of the, the, the overall um, teaching time, that our existing six-day schedule um, is most appropriate. I actually have a presentation that I did for the board a few years ago about this. The, the schedule itself costs zero dollars, zero cents. If we went to a traditional one-to-nine model, we would have the same number of faculty and staff. We would have to choose to have less if we wanted less. Um, it does not cost us anything to be in that model. Um, it's, so, and that's kind of the presentation that I made. Um, I'm always reticent to say, educationally, this is the best model. I think our neighboring districts do a wonderful job of preparing their kids for college, just like we do. So I, I just think once you're in it, you work in it, it's hard to imagine a world outside of it. I think what happens in the classroom for 60 minutes is, um, is fantastic, what teachers are able to do versus 42 right. uh, minutes. So yeah, I would favor that model. It sounds like it. I mean, clearly you're not afraid of change because you, you made some recommendations yeah. in terms of potential changes, but that is not, and it, to be clear, that is clearly not an area that you would recommend a, a, a looking at. It wouldn't be the reason that I would suggest making a change. I've said years ago that you know, the, the, the issue that concerns me is like the size of the cafeteria is an issue. We, two years ago, we went to three lunch periods instead of two. We once thought three lunch periods was impossible. Um, we, we start having conversations now about do we need to consider finding a way for a fourth lunch period? Because even with the new cafeteria, we, we could potentially be short seats. Um, and then when you add in how we program the school, Right? I, I always want us to discuss changes to something like the program for educational purposes. Sure. But we might end up discussing a change in the program because if we balloon to 2,000, we have a significant, we have a different problem. And realistically, of course, we, we all would only like to look at educational, but we have to look at both educational and, 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 and financial, which is why we're here. Okay, so uh, Deb and then Emily, and I would ask if you're not near, and Larry, if you're not near the um, recorder, please uh, do speak up. Okay, so Deborah Brooks, um, thank you for the presentation. I have two questions. Um, so you would keep Shriver the way it is and add the things that you, um, in other words, you keep all the staffing the same, but add in the recommendations. That would be your ideal, whether it be to add the 10 or so kids to BOCES, add the college um, specific guidance counselor, add the ESL specific guidance counselor, add the special ed. You would, you would add those and keep everything else the same if you had your ideal Shriver. Do I understand that correctly? Not exactly. I just think I'm a little reticent to say exactly what I think I would do to make changes to offset. Okay. They'd be very specific. There would be opportunities for staff decreases that As for reason. obvious reasons we're not getting into the Because this is actually a conversation, I don't want to get too far afield, but we actually had a conversation, I can't remember which committee, about whether there should be a dedicated college guidance counselor. And I was just wondering, if such a position were put into place, would you 
Would you remove one of the eight guidance counselors? Would you make one of those eight the college-specific guidance counselor in your construct, or would all eight stay the same plus the guidance, plus the additions to guidance? If we were having this conversation nine years ago when I got here, I might say yes to that. But I don't think it's reasonable. Like If we removed one, if we went from eight to seven, and we said to one counselor, you don't really have a caseload, you're in charge of college applications for seniors. We're going to take what is 212 right now, and we're going to inflate that number. And so I don't think we can make any change in guidance where the number of students that guidance counselors are responsible for goes up. We can only make those changes if they go down. Those are my questions. Thank you. First, I want to just say that one thing that keeps resonating with me is what you said when you first started this presentation, that Schreiber High School is the eighth largest high Somewhere school in, that, the in Nassau comes. County. Yeah. And I think as a committee and as a board of education, I think that is something that we all need to keep in mind because when we sit down, especially with regards to budget, we're constantly looking in ways in which we can save money and make, and I think that that is something very important that we remember about how do we make a big school feel large, because I feel that that small. is one of small. our, small. small, I meant that. Um, that's one of our um, goals. Uh, so I, I, I thank you for this presentation, because to me, I think that you know we started this, this exercise in a way for us to try to find ways to save money. And what we're finding is that if you could do an ideal school, we would have to you know, increase in certain areas. Um, but, I, but I think I would like for the next step to be done. I would like for you to come back to us and say, okay, you know, this is what's really important. From what I heard, you, know, you said guidance was on the top of the list because that is important. Um, how do we make it happen? Because I think you're right. 35 years of running an operation, any sort of operation, the same way should not be. We should look at some sort of way of changing that operation. So what would be the next steps is what I would ask for. Uh, I will add also, I know that the governor yesterday did his state of the state union, whatever he called it, and he did discuss ways in um, increasing funding to school districts with regards to certain, or increasing funding for mental health and for security. Uh, so maybe there are ways that we can get extra funding from the state to help with some of the uh, suggestions that you have made. So I, I would like for us to keep going with this. Especially after the governor legalizes marijuana. We'll yes. probably need some extra support there for that. For security. Well. But we can still well, do this. Not just security, for counseling. Right. Larry, then uh, Mike. Okay, um, I have three questions. One is, um, in your, I probably misunderstood you, but uh, when you're looking at the guidance and you want to reduce the caseloads, mm -hmm. and it looked like you were going to put in a special ed counselor that had 375 person caseload. 185, the 125 declassified, I don't think need to be with a, a dedicated special education counselor. Okay. It's notable that there are 125 students who are declassified because they still have the potential to get accommodations when they leave high school and go to college. 
Okay, so that would uh, fall more under the college I just was providing so. some. Okay, okay. Like, it's looking, it seemed odd that they were. No, 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 no. Okay, yeah. so uh, the other thing is on your, um, the, the, the boring chart that you put up that you didn't yes. want us to look at. Um, I noticed that speech and language went from 1.3 to 1. Is that, a, is that a reduction in need or is that just a, an increase in class size? Uh, speech no. and language, third one from the bottom? No, it stayed oh, at 1.3. It was 1.3 and then it went to 1.0. Uh, so to be perfectly honest, I don't, I don't assign speech and language teachers. The People Personnel Services does that. Okay. So I'm guessing there was a shortage elsewhere. In caseload, we probably graduated a class that just we don't need as many services okay. as we do. And then my, my, last, my last question is, um, you talked about other schools being able to you know, do a good job of preparing students for college. Oh, before I do that, I just want to say that it's really nice to actually hear that our administrators are self-reflective and do look and are looking, because we're, we're always like stuck in the weeds and we don't actually get to see, see that you guys are actually looking at the 30,000 foot level, so it's, right. I appreciate it. By the way, you said that, uh, that the other schools with a different schedule also do a good job of preparing students for college. Mm -hmm. Is that what you view the, the goal of Schreiber High School is? Not necessarily, but that is, I spend a whole lot of time talking about it. Uh, and that's probably the question I get asked more than any other question uh, throughout the course of a school year is how do we do with college applications more specifically? How do we do with kids getting into Ivy League schools? It is the most often asked question. So I would be foolish if I didn't have an idea about that. It would be silly of me to know that yesterday we had two students named for Jetteron Scholars and not know that there are 31 other students on Long Island who are also named for Jetteron Scholars. It would be silly if I didn't know how Jericho and Manhasset and Syosset and Great Neck. It would be silly if I didn't know how well those schools did um, as well. So I have to spend time doing that. I don't think that's our job. I think like when we focus too much on what happens after high school, we run the risk of forgetting high school. Um, you know, I implemented something last year that at ninth grade, incoming uh, ninth grade orientation, I don't want anyone who speaks to say the word college. No, I want to I, I, I totally admire this, but this is the budget yeah, so we're meeting. Okay. So we and we have a, a number of agenda items. So I'm sorry to cut you off. Uh, we have Mike and then Beth. Mayor Berg. Um, first of all, thank you for walking us through that process. Sure. Um, and I agree with Larry. It's nice to see what it looks like from thirty thousand feet as far as those decisions. To Emily's point, as far as what are the next steps, I think as as a school district, you know, Emily mentioned uh, Cuomo's uh, state of the state. We have a state of the district coming up very soon. And I think when we look at the vision that you have here, and as we look to cobble our own vision and mission here, this is going to be a fluid process that's probably a few years. Now, I'm not saying from now, I'm saying we're going to think of a plan how we could look to incorporate this over several years. And I think that's critically important. So thank you for doing Certainly. That. Emily, if I were to, you said something about budget related to adding. And I think that may be true for some, but I think the more complicated conversation is about shifting. So I, I don't think you reduce far. money, you have to move. That's right. You know, to make a lot of these things happen, it's about you know, reassigning the dollars, uh, and it might be neutral. And I think in many ways that's the harder conversation. Yes. Uh, so I just had one budget-related question with the guidance. I definitely agree with you that the college counselor, that's an addition. Um, and I think the special ed might be an addition as well. But the special ed and the ENL, like if we added those two, would we be able to go down to seven gen ed versus eight if we're taking, you know, 300 kids out of the general 
caseload looking at that? I'm just asking. Wouldn't be my recommendation. Again, we want to get the number for those eight, we want to get that number down as low as we can. So if we did all those things and we ended up at a reduction in 12 students instead of uh, 37 students on average, I don't know that we get enough uh, in terms okay. of the value. Just asking. Uh, but, you know, that's just my ideal. Like, you know, I live in a world we can't we, get that we, we all have other additions, yeah. I think, that would come with that ideal, but I, that was and with that, I thank you again very, very much, Dr. Pernick, and please do feel free to stay with us for the rest of the meeting. At your discretion. Um, so I'm just going to sum up the agenda item by noting that, uh, that while, the, while this wasn't necessarily a traditional totally from the ground up look at the budget. Uh, I totally understand the potential political reasons and challenges behind doing that. And I think it was a wonderful exercise. And I, I personally am very, very grateful to Dr. Pernick for giving us so much insight into um, what his ideal school would look like compared to perhaps what we are able to afford um, at this date. And I think it's our job, as you guys know, to um, do our best to balance the ever-challenging uh, 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 duality of having the best education possible and figuring out a way to finance it. Speaking of financing it, we need to finance our roofs. And so I know we may not have updates as to the third option, but um, what I had asked for for this meeting was a uh, more clear uh, analysis of the costs over the next 10 years of the bond versus the transfer to capital. And perhaps we do have some updates with respect to the potential revitalization. In terms of costs, since we have no costs, I made something up last night. <laughs> Uh, really, we, since we do not know what will be revitalized, what will be replaced, whether it will be through the transfer to capital line, whether the board will authorize a bond, I went back to our last bond, which was $6.7 million. And basically, if you look at the cost of that bond over a 15-year period, we pay what is known as level debt service approximately $575,000 a year for 15 years for this $6.7 million bond. But in fact, over that time, we're paying an additional $1.7, almost $1.8 million in interest. If we had the luxury of taking $575,000 a year and putting it in the transferred capital line, Certainly then over that 15-year period, that extra $1.7 or $1.8 million in interest is really going to the infrastructure of the school district. And, and that really is all I could come up with in terms of common sense at this point. But to me, the question is, do we have the luxury of time? And I know that when we started this, when the board started this process, we were talking last spring, 
Then we took a break because we were going to give the new superintendent an opportunity <coughs> for an entry. Then Jim went on his conference back in the end of October and in November brought us an idea for revitalization. And so this has taken far longer than I think the board would desire or certainly I as, as um, the business person would desire because in my humble opinion, I don't think that you have certainly enough time to offer the community any information about a bond for May, my personal humble opinion. So I think we have forced ourselves in some way into a corner of looking at what really is our very worst roof. Not in danger, but our worst roof. And perhaps budgeting for that in the transfer to capital line, but before you have that discussion, I'm going to let Jim update you on where we are with the scanning process so you can see if my thinking is out of line with your own. Okay. Before the break, somewhere around the last meeting, I, I, I believe I missed the last meeting for another meeting I had, but went forward looking for companies to do the scanning. We found the Trempco company, we couldn't purchase from them, so we had to do some other. So we found that our consultant, our environmental consultant does it, so we gave a purchase order to Broderick. Since that purchase order, the weather has not been conducive to doing this type of work. Um, there's, a, there's certain parameters that we need. It's the winter time is the, is the problem. It's, but during the winter, we need to have a steady of around 30 degrees without um, moisture. So we need to have the roofs dry and around 30 degrees for about a week. We haven't had that since we started the process. Broderick is updating me daily. They, they have this on their priority. As soon as the first opportunity comes, they're going to start the process. And that's unfortunate. I, again, I didn't know when I brought this to the board's attention back in November, I had no idea this would take this long, but I still feel it's a viable route. And that's. And, and Jim, what, I think we, we were also going to look into the company itself. We did. And yep. do we have feedback there? Yep, I, I reached out to um, different, uh, matter, matter of fact, I asked the company that the, the salesman to give me names of who we work for in Long Island. We have Manituck, Malvern, and Roosevelt. Um, the person that was at Roosevelt is also at Merrick. He worked with, um, he worked with Tremco and this person, Luke, who is the salesman. High, high uh, recommendations. The person at, um, it's the actually uh, assistant superintendent at Malvern, they've used them recently, and Mattituck Facilities Director, I spoke to him yesterday. Complete trust in the company. So to be clear, the company is, we feel the company has been uh, appropriately vetted, so now the, really question, the question is, to what extent, which roofs will be ultimately eligible for this treatment? And that's what we don't know yet. Because of the scanning. Because of the scanning. Jim, why couldn't we use Tremco to scan? You said we couldn't use them. It was a um, purchasing uh, glitch. In other words, they weren't on a on a, um, a board on a policy, yeah. and yes. the state law requires that they're either on a state some form of a contract. Gotcha. 
Or, or they would have to RFP. We would have to do an RFP. RFP. Right. And then I was trying to get it done so quickly. No, right. And I, I, I would, could probably could have done that, but Broderick does this Our type environment, of work. Our environment, he so is on a state right. contract. Okay, hold on, hold on. I'm going to take questions, as always, from folks that raise their hand. So it sounds like Nora, then Larry. Are there others that know they want to ask questions? The Nora, other, then Larry, then Emily. The other districts, Roosevelt, Malvern, whatever, the other, Mattahawk. Mattahawk. Yep. Did any have any of them use? Did anyone use them like a couple of years ago? I mean, one yeah. of yeah. I mean, what is the time factor? Mattatuck is actually in the process of giving them more work, so they were they were happy. To, they think they're looking to do a whole uh, building, if I'm not mistaken. But I mean, they have the longevity. Is the question like? I mean, there's a it's holding up. That's what they said. They're, it's holding, holding up. up. Okay. Because I mean, there's two things. One is like, how did they service it initially? How did they do the work? Were there glitches? Whatever. But the bigger question really is to me. That's what we're finding out. Yeah. And, um, the Malvern work was done a while ago, I believe. That's the quote, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I could really, I could dig even further, because uh, I know these people personally. I can, you know, I, I know them very well, the, the directors, and I can go visit the schools if, I, if we really get to that point. Um, so, but I, don't, I, don't, I, I take their word. Yeah, so uh, <clears throat> my question is, when you do the scanning, is it a yes or no? Or is there some semblance of like, well, it got a four, we can, four you may want to do it, five you may want to do it, and is so is Broderick going to have a slightly different interpretation of the results than Trento might if they were doing the scanning? We're working, I, I set it up where Trento is working with Broderick for a prescribed way of doing the work, the scanning. So the scanning will tell us if the, if the, the roof is a viable you know, candidate for the, the surface. But is it a yes or a no, or is it a cusp? It's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a yes, no, and maybe we would have to do some repairs first. Okay, so that would be the, so um, there are the other roofs that are definitely off the table for this that we already spoke about, like the uh, one that, uh, at Salem and the high school. There's a couple of sections at the high school that are off the table because there's no sense in doing scanning because there's, there's no question that they have to be replaced. So that's where Mary, uh, we were trying to come up with, if we're not gonna go with an overall bond, the, the immediate ones right now, what, how we should attack those on maybe a, an increase in the capital line. Mm -hmm. And that's, those are the options we're trying to give the board right now. And then to give us time to do a more comprehensive on the, on the roofs that can be repaired after the scanning. So there's a lot of facets to this. It's not just um, do, don't, or, you know, it, it, there's a lot of things that we can do to save, to save uh, you know, funding and, and to maybe offset long-term costs. So it's, that's what we're trying to really get a hold of. Emily? That was my question that Jim just answered, so I don't have a question. Okay, well, from my perspective, I'm, I'm not, I feel, I feel frankly a bit of a deja vu with respect to uh, being, uh, being uh, forced time-wise time into not being able to do a bond. That being said, I think the really good news is, is that financially speaking, it probably doesn't make sense to do a bond anyway, which is what I had hinted at in December. Um, ultimately, I, my recommendation to the committee is that for both of those reasons, we don't have time anyway, and there is a, a, a better or equal um, 
equally viable option with right. the transfer to capital um, that, that, that we essentially uh, retire the idea of doing a bond this year. Uh, I put that forward to the committee and, and, and board and welcome your feedback. Okay, I, I, I don't think we should, the word retire shouldn't be the word. I think that the point is that at this point, we do not have enough information to be able to do a bond in May, and I agree with Mary that you know doing a May bond would be a little bit difficult at this point, and you're right, it is kind of deja vu again. Um, but that being said, I think we need to continue this process and really continue the discussion of is a bond necessary or is this revitalization going to be the replacement of it because if in fact revitalization is not the necessary, can't happen or isn't the viable solution, then we need to have a bond put together. We need to be ready and then decide the timing, whether it be next May, September, I don't know, June, whatever it is, but I don't think we have to, re we should not retire this discussion because we'll be back at this table again next year having the same discussion in January. Well, it depends on, it depends on the, the, the status of the roofs. I mean, Correct. if we make a plan, to update the roofs through the transfer to capital line over 10 years, then presumably that's the plan that will, will, will work. Um, time will tell, and if the, if the status of the roofs change, then perhaps we need to readdress okay. it. But that, that my recommendation is that is the plan that we, we uh, I, adopt I do, for now. Okay, I, for, for the record, I do not believe that we as a board can say right now that our plan for the next 10 years is to do transfer to capital. I would like for us to continue the discussion of where our roofs stand and what can be revitalized. We've gotten roof estimates that show in certain roofs that have been we've been told are in dire need or sooner than later. So I do not believe that the plan for this board should be just transfer to capital. Um, I think we need to continue investigating. Um, I do understand why this year we may have to do transfer to capital. But I do not think that we can say that's our plan because I have not put into that yet. It's fine. Beth? Um, I understand why you're saying that, Dave. Just looking at the financial numbers and looking at the amount we'd spend on interest that, that the transfer to capital line actually is a better choice for the taxpayer. Um, they get more, more bang for their buck or however you want to. But, um, but as to Emily's point, if we end up needing $4 million worth of work next year after this root scanning thing is, obviously we, we we're not doing a $4 million transfer to capital. So I agree with you. However, for this year's budget conversations, That's we should absolutely keep that transfer to capital conversation <coughs> going for this year, as you said, because, right. That's what I intend. That's, 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 what the, that's what I meant. So when I said retire, I meant for this year, to be clear. Um, okay, any, any other conversation on this topic? Yes, Deb. Um, does this take into account, <coughs> excuse me, any of the solar roof panels, or is that, Completely separate okay. project. I'm glad you're glad. That <coughs> glad, you're glad. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, no, I'm glad that you're both glad, <laughs> and I know that Jess is also <coughs> glad for the record. Go ahead. I was um, absent the last meeting again, and I tried to catch up for what, the, uh, what you requested. I, I spoke to that person. Um, they requested a uh, that we get back to them with a more clear um, avenue of what, what they want us to do. 
Last year, I had already done something like this with Johnson Controls. Um, we asked them to survey and come up with a plan of solar, and, and it also it involved not only it took taking Guggenheim, just for instance, because that is the room that is the roof that is 100% complete and the best shape. So they 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 took that into consideration. They took Montfort lot and I believe the high school parking lot also with carports to have solar carports. So all of these things I already looked into. The payback was way over 18 years, which when you do a, when you do a performance contract, you want to be within the 18 years uh, to get state approval. So every time we do look at this, it, it's always the same answer. It's always too far out. Um, the, the numbers are just not, not there. It, it, is it a good thing? I think it's a great thing for solar, but if we're looking at it on a, on a financial aspect, it's not, it's, it's not feasible. So schools in the state that have converted some of their roofs to solar power, how are they doing that? If, is their payout not 18 years? Is it shorter? Do you they know? May have, they made a couple of those projects into different with other projects. So in order to get, see, earlier on when LED lighting before LED lighting came out, they were doing this the T4 technology fluorescence, and there was a good payback then. And they, they may have coupled these projects in with that. Then the LED lights came out. We did, we just recently last year finished that. That is all that low hanging fruit that they've been talking about about where the real money is. We're so saturated now because we did everything. We did so many things in this district for energy savings over since the last 12 years, there's really no more. So to go out with just a solar project, there's no other opportunities to get that payback. So that's, that's where we're at right now. Unless something else should come about that, uh, you know, technology, we could do it. So again, I'd be glad to continue to look into it. I don't, um, I'm not sure if the, that's the direction. With this information that I'm giving you, I don't know if that's the direction you want me to go, but I will gladly do it. Thank you. Uh, are there any other uh, questions or comments? Fantastic. Well, thank you, Ms. Callahan and Mr. Rostano, uh, for uh, your work on this. So, and so we will look forward, forward to hearing updates on the scanning, which will ultimately impact how much we believe we need to transfer to capital for the roofs. Right. I'm sorry, because I know you want to move on, but I'm just, I still want to say that is Schreiber what we would be, so trans, would it be Schreiber right now that you're saying is the one we need? Salem. Salem before Schreiber or Salem I would, and Schreiber? I would Schreiber. say at the same time. So the reason why, excuse me, if um, Salem is a large project, right. Salem, uh, the high school, two sections are very small. To couple them, it would be the, the right time to do that. Okay. And Mary, going back to the numbers that we had with regards to the estimates, Schreiber and Salem together right now would be how much? A million nine hundred thousand. So we're saying that we're going to do transfer to capital of one point nine million dollars for next year? Is that what I'm understanding, or am well, I Well, I am, I am also saying that there were other items that we talked about, the serving line equipment to go with the, um, with the enlargement of the cafeteria, which is $610,000, and uh, the recoding of the track for 156000 
and asbestos abatement, which we have talked about having a plan, an ongoing plan for 110,000, that's 876 there. So you add a million nine to that. That's and a we large believe we increase. Could do that. I'm not saying that I believe I, we can do I, anything. I was asking the board. <laughs> okay. Yes. What, this is not on the agenda. However, the extent to which the extent to which the transfer to capital is impacted by our roofing needs is, and what I am saying is that it is not worth talking about until we know how much of that 1.9 we can reduce by the scanning. We don't know that we will. Those are the ones Those are off the table. Those are the ones that are off the table. Okay. So then, yes, that is what we are saying, Emily, that we would have to add the 1.9. And we knew going out, and I've been communicating to the community at every budget facilities meeting and every board meeting that we are either going to have a bond or an increase in transfer to capital, either both of which will require our community to, to to fund it. I mean, so now we're saying we don't have time for the bond, so we're going to have to do the transfer to capital at least for this year. There's going to be an increase in this budget. We already know that we can uh, legally do that, and now we need to be able to communicate it to the public. We can discuss that here if you'd like. We don't have a lot of time, but we can certainly discuss the implications of that here if you'd like. I just put it out there for us to be aware yeah. that what we're talking about. Um, I do think that it does call for a discussion. Um, I do believe that we need to actually, you know, I know, I again, I, I, I feel a little frustrated because I know that you know, we've said transfer to capital is doable, and I think I've said it before. I think that that's just kind of a different way of increasing increasing the, what our you know the tax levy or the the amount that that, that our uh, the community pays. And so I don't know that you know a bond is so much worse than transfer to capital, and I feel that we're just putting things off again. Um, to, and to I, be clear, I feel frustrated. but to be clear, a bond. I, I I hear you. I hear your frustration, especially with respect to feeling forced into the decision. The reason, ultimately, Emily, that I am comfortable with the decision to go to transfer to capital versus the bond is that it's a financially uh, more. Uh, it's better for the taxpayer ultimately than than the bond would be. Not necessarily. <laughs> well, based on the numbers, it is. Um, so, uh, given the state of the roofs, um, if given that we don't have time for a bond, and the roofs are in imminent need of being repaired, is that a correct assessment? The the Salem and the Schreiber roofs, Jim. Salem is starting to show more wear than, than the rest. So, given that we don't have time for a bond. We have no option, as I understand, other than to do transfer of capital for these specific roof projects. Not the entirety, but just Schreiber and especially now Salem. Is that is that a correct understanding? You're talking about for this year. For this yeah. year. Let, let, let me answer that. We, we, that's our decision. We could, we could absolutely try to get a bond together for May or June. What I am saying is that 
based on the financial outlook and knowing that a bond would require, would be much more difficult to get through in the community than the transfer to capital. I am recommending and putting forward to the committee that we take the transfer to capital route. But I welcome feedback and if the committee decides otherwise, then we can pursue a bond. We don't have a lot of time to discuss that, but we can certainly set a special meeting and continue the conversation if the committee, Emily or otherwise, feels that. I'm not he I'd love to get a consensus from other board members that haven't spoken up on this, um, but I, I, hear, I hear you loud and clear, Emily. I'm right now with you on the transfer to capital, and I would be concerned about not doing the transfer to capital and saying we were going to do a bond vote in June because then June could come, the bond could fail, and we are now going a year and a half now without fixing or even starting the process of those particular routes because I'm not wrong. If we pass this in the budget for this year, we're not talking about summer of this year. We're talking about summer of... Next year, no matter what we're, we're, we're talking we're adding, about. We're adding years, yeah. Emily, I see your hand raised. Before I go back to you, Larry or Nora, do you have comments on it? Yeah, I mean, I think for this year, we sort of, you know, transfer to capital is what makes more sense. The problem I have with it, if we do a bond, we do it, and the community does, uh, buys it or doesn't buy in, and we're sort of done. This way, every year, we're going to have the, have the discussion of how much we're putting into capital, Boards will change, the community, the community. I've been on boards where we've had things that absolutely had to be done and at the last minute we didn't do them because we decided that was too, uh, too much to ask the taxpayers to do. So every year we're gonna be running into these same discussions and every year, as a, Dr. Perning said, we're gonna be making choices. Do we get rid of a few electives at Triber to fix the roof? You know, I mean, that's what it's ultimately going to end up coming down to. So, you know, so the advantage to a bond is a long-term uh, process is you do it once and then you have a few years of breathing room where the transfer to capital is going to become an, a battle every year. Uh, I, I see your hand up. Nora, then uh, Mary, then Emily. I mean, I understand what you're saying and I feel your frustration. I do think that for this year we have gotten ourselves to the point where transfer to capital is the way to go for this year, but I do think that's my opinion. And I respect the opinion that we could actually meet and get this further, I mean, and quickly, because if we are in any way going to do a bond this year, we have to like talk about it really quickly. I personally, I'm, like, I'm much, I'm inclined for the transfer to capital this year, but I do think we should have another, like you had suggested, like a meeting so that people can really air their feelings and make a decision that at least everybody understands why we're making it or feels and comfortable enough that this is, you know, the consensus. Yeah. I simply wanted to say you can look at a budget through many different lenses, and certainly if you have a bond, you have a fixed cost every year, but once you have done that, then you have limited your choices, as Dr. Pernick said, in many other competing areas of the district. Mm -hmm. um, and whether it's a bond or transfer to capital, both of those dollar amounts are part of the exclusion. Mm -hmm. So it's not that if you put money in the transfer to capital line, it's a way of going around the taxpayer. You're not going around the taxpayer either way 
because if the community decides they don't want to spend that money, then we don't have authorization for a budget at all, and we go back to last year's number. So I think it's, it's um, we're giving the community as much information as we do have. We will totally put out every fact and figure and be forthcoming. Uh, it, timing is really the, the major pressure I see this year. And if you are able to put a million nine extra in the transfer to capital line, then it is built in in the future. So when you go back to the original list of priorities, the priority one was $4 million. If you're able to support a million nine this year and next year keep that one million nine in, <clears throat> excuse me, you have practically covered all of priority one in two budget cycles. Food for thought. So, Mary, I appreciate all of that, and I, and I appreciate the comment about the, your, the, the clarification that it, it would be the same, bonds or transfer to capital as far as the community information. I guess my, my real question I have is, how are we able to do 1.9 million plus the 800 and something? Because I know in prior discussions that we've had, as boards when it comes to transfer to capital, we've had, it, it's been a difficult process to try to get the $800,000. So now we're saying we're going to be able, so for me, that is why I am saying, how is it now, how are we able going to do it? And I do think, Dave, we do need some time to really hash out, and maybe sooner than later, how we're doing it. Like the actual numbers part of it for me is where I'm uncomfortable. Where are the numbers coming from? How are we doing it? And you know why? So we say we're, and I think at one of the other meetings, I think I had asked, when is the absolute latest that we can make a decision about doing a bond? And I don't think it was January. I think we were told sometime in like February, correct? Yes. If I could just respond to the question, is that okay? Yeah, briefly, please. Okay. Um, there are legal advertisements right. that need to be done. Right. So you need at least sixty days prior to the vote before any advertising for the board to authorize a bond. Um, with regard to the dollar amount that suddenly we, we can do, I'm not saying that That's suddenly we can do anything because we have no information yet and the superintendent and I are just beginning to meet on the facts and figures that have been provided by the building administrators we don't have the tax levy limit, we don't have the TRS number, the ERS number. We, the one factor that we've had so far is the growth factor, which is less than one-tenth of one percent. So we are still talking in theoretical terms because we have not put in staffing numbers. Um, I, I've created a worksheet that I will show the superintendent relative to, well, if the number is this and if we take this much out of fund balance and if the board approves. So it, we're still in a very amorphous, bubbly stage at this point. Thank you. So, uh, Emily, I, I am comfortable, especially given your reticence, holding off on saying we're going to retire the bond conversation for this year. The reason I thought, I do believe the sooner we make a decision one way or the other, 
the sooner we can start to prepare the community. And either way, we have to sell the community. We're going to use the bond video, the beautiful video that has been created. And we're going to use PR and marketing savvy to get the word out about the great work that's been done and the need to work on these roofs. Either way, whether it's transferred capital or a bond, in my opinion, the sooner we make that decision, the better. Correct. But I totally understand your 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 not being quite ready, and so I'm happy to continue the conversation on the in our next budget meeting. I do think by then we should walk away knowing what the what the the plan is in general, whether it's transfer to capital or a bond, because we will eventually run out of time. Does that sound like I, I, a fair? I agree. I agree with you. I, I, yeah. I'm just saying. I I just want to point out that just saying, okay, we'll do transfer to capital is not a simple statement, that you need to come up with the money for that. And we haven't had the money in the past. So that's what I want us all to be aware of. Like we can't walk away saying, okay, we'll just transfer to capital and we found that solution because that's not the solution that's easy, is my point. That's all, I understand everything else and I'm with everybody on everything else. I just wanna point out that it's not an easy statement, and as Mary just stated, it's not set I, in stone. I, th I, don't, I think it's simple, it's not easy. I agree, it's not, it's not, not easy, simple but it is straightforward. Um, just a quick question for Jim on this. We have a new, or, or very soon, um, the state, the, the building conditions update is coming, right? Oh, it's no. interesting you brought that up. I, and I, my concern is just whether we have this. It's not going to be. It's not going to be until 2023, I believe, because okay. of how the state did it. They broke it up into regions of need. So we fell a little beyond that. Okay. So we're there, but in the in the meantime, um, instead of doing the building condition survey every year, we're going to be doing a visual inspection. So that's um, it's not as comprehensive. It's just a quick uh, review. So we, we are going to be using our building condition survey that we've had in the past. Instead of it being five years, it's going to go until like nine. Only so, be, and I only bring yes. that up. We still have items in there. Right, when we're having a conversation uh -huh. about a bond. Yes. I don't want to miss the boat. I don't want to do a bond for four million for, yeah. you know, roofs and then turn that's around in a year yeah. and because and that's my concern for not doing it this year versus that, taking a bigger that is usually picture. the instrument you use to formulate so right we would, we would so I, I, i'm just saying before we even have that conversation that to do something a little bit more comprehensive my concern is i don't want a board to be sitting at this table in three years after we did a roof bond saying they completely missed the boat right understood thank you for bringing it up um for time purposes as well as i think we've talked this one out i'm going to move us on is that cool okay um but we will continue the discussion at the next budget and facilities meeting and hope to uh to come to a definitive conclusion with respect to how we will finance uh the roofs um i'm going to zip through our last uh updates um, i'm going to keep revenue brainstorm on this agenda every session, only to keep myself personally accountable. Um, I was unable to bring the grant consultant here this meeting. I hope to do that um, at a future meeting soon. Um, I will ask, uh, in order to advance this idea forward, I will ask you, Ms. Callahan, given that uh, you have the benefit of having uh, been here for this, um, and especially as we begin uh, 
uh, our unit nego negotiations that you look perhaps a little bit more into uh, item number one from the brainstorm revenue, the, the life insurance uh, incentive, um, and perhaps can update us a little bit with, with a little bit more of, of how we did it and the extent to which it's even feasible um, at, a, a, at a future meeting. I certainly can do that for clarification. I was not here. It was back in the 1960s. Eighties well, or something. I thought you were I here since the forties. Is that not <laughs> right? Since the day of the flood. Um, didn't but you? Didn't you build I, the building with your own two hands? Right, I did. I and I dedicated all the plaques and everything. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I do have the correspondence from that, and I will certainly follow up and see if um, if we can find some insurer who would be interested in this kind of an arrangement. Fantastic, thank you very much. And with respect to the subcommittee, I, we have not met yet, but I, we are, uh, so we are still forming. So if anyone is interested in joining the uh, Sands Point Property Subcommittee to determine the extent to which we can uh, use the property for educational and or revenue generating purposes, please talk to me, or if you're listening at home, you can email me, D Kerpen, K-E-R-P-E-N, at portnet. Dot org. Our, our final agenda item is. Wait, before you continue that, do you have yes. a date that the subcommittee? Do you have like a we don't because date? it depends on who the committee is, is, and I will schedule it with them. Um, but the, the committee will likely meet for the first time at the property itself so that they can all get a good sense of the, the property itself. Do you have any non board members on the committee so far? Uh, we. Do not, but I would very much welcome community members. Uh, we we did have somebody uh, email. I said somebody did. George somebody, Bordeaux. somebody. Did George Bordeaux? He yeah. We may we may have somebody from the community. Thank you. Okay, and our, the last item of the agenda, we, we, we had a potentially a significant donation from a, from a private foundation. Do we have any update on that? I, I did get an update. Uh, they do, will have an answer in February. Okay, fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, we're running late, but of course I would like to open up questions uh, and comments to the community now. Could you just clarify the last point? So we are receiving some sort of large donation, we just don't really, or we don't. We may be. We may be. Got it. Thank you. I understand. Any other questions or comments from the community? Yes, Jessica. Um, is there, um, if there's a candidate for scanning to, um, that, that you're working on that's a priority one, is that going to be an additional amount that's going to be, have to add it, be added to the transfer to capital line? For the scanning? To restore the, to, to whatever process they revitalize. To, to revive the revitalization of a roof. Is that something that's also going to have to be added? Like, I well, that's, that's the decision we're going to have to make after we get the information. But, but you're, you're looking at priority, you're looking, is, is, are there any priority one roofs that are candidates for no. the no. no, no, those are the ones that are off the table right now. Okay. Okay, not, did you have something else? Okay. Those, those members of the community that came late, I would remind you that we have some prizes in the form of munchkins. And as always, anyone that's made it through the entire podcast, Email me, dkerbinimportantnet.org, to let me know you listen to the whole podcast, and I may just have a prize for you. Until next time, everyone, have a wonderful day. Next meeting? The next meeting is Tuesday, January 28th, 10 a.m., right here in the Kathy Mooney Conference Annex, Annex Conference Room.